we're going to continue our lesson on deacons today, and we'll, we'll finish this as well. Um, before we dig in, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the, the riches of your, um, your gospel to us. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you've saved us in Christ, and we thank you, too, that you've given us a church to be a part of, uh, to belong to, and that you've given us instructions about how we are to run uh, your church. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be um, compliant to your word, uh, obedient to it, and not in a haughty way, Lord, but with a desire to honor you and trust that your ways are right. Lord, we pray, especially in the area of deacons uh, for our church, that you would equip us with a right understanding from your word about what um, the responsibilities of deacons are and the requirements for them. And Lord, we pray that you would um, you direct us now as we study your word, open our minds to understand and um, give us a, a willingness to accept what your word says. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are uh, going to finish up here about deacons. Uh, I didn't give any time uh, last week for questions, just kind of plowed through things and try to give some time for questions today. The goal today would be to do a quick review. Oh, no problem. Um, a quick review of what we covered last time, and then um, add to that, particularly in the area of what are the uh, biblical characteristics of a deacon. Uh, so, a quick, quick review about last time, and then I'll open it up for questions about anything from last time, and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, we, we talked about how there are really only two explicit passages on deacons in the New Testament. Uh, that would be Philippians 1, 1 Timothy 3. But just because there's only two passages does not mean that there isn't enough said about that uh, for us to make informed and good decisions about what deacons are to be and do. Um, Philippians 1 is a text that shows us Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who has authority um, over, over the church, not as the head of the church, but as a, an authorized apostle, recognizes that there are two offices within the, church, within the church, that of elder and that of deacon, because he writes to all the saints who are at Philippi, along with the overseers, that's the same thing as pastors or elders, and deacons. And that's a really important uh, insight for us to understand that Paul recognizes there are two groups or official offices within the church. Uh, he makes, we come to the same um, conclusion with 1 Timothy 3, because it says, if anyone desires uh, the office of overseer, or the task of an overseer, he desires a noble task. And then lists the qualifications of an overseer, and then he goes into deacons. And so again, the understanding that uh, Paul views elders and deacons as offices within the church um, it is important for us to know that this, even though it's only in two spots, uh, it's two very important spots by a very important man. Uh, we talked about how overseers within the church, we have actually quite a bit of scripture that um, tells us what they are and what their uh, responsibilities are, as well as what their character traits need to be. Uh, understand that overseers is the Greek word presbyteros, it means um, sometimes it can be elder in years, but it also be an elder in maturity. Uh, an overseer needs to be spiritually mature. 
Um, and there's also um, uh, Episcopos. Um, sorry, that one's the overseer. Presbyteros is elder, um, which is to be uh, the more mature, the, to be mature. Episcopos would be overseer. Uh, you give oversight. So they're to give oversight to the church. Uh, this helps us to understand what a deacon is not. If there is a specific role uh, that is responsible for pastoring, for oversight, for leading the church, and that belongs to elder, that would mean then that that's not the responsibility of a deacon. Um, if you have two offices that are responsible for the same thing, uh, that's just a, a recipe for disaster. In any kind of uh, even secular um, office environment, you have two groups of people that are responsible for the same project with no distinguishing of responsibilities, but you're just going to be butting heads. Um, and God's a God of order, and so an overseer is not a deacon, and deacon's not an overseer. Uh, we talked about deacons in the, uh, just the, the language of it. The root word there means service or servant or um, the action of serving. And yet it can also have a more technical meaning, which is used in Philippians and 1 Timothy, of an office of a, of a servant within the church. Uh, and in that case, it comes to take on a more particular definition where it would be like an assistant or an aide. Um, to the to the elders, uh, we looked at the the background of First Timothy and how that was a letter, a letter written to uh, Paul's protege Timothy, who is responsible for kind of getting things set up right in the church for the sake of protecting the church from error and false doctrine and false teaching, and so the very existence of the officers of elder and and deacon exists in some part to bring enough order to the church so that it's not liable or just open up to, uh, to false teaching and the dangers that are out there for churches. Uh, we looked at Acts chapter 6 and led up to that and how the church faced many, um, many dangers in its, in its inception. You know, it faced persecution, it faced Ananias and Sapphira, and then it faced the dilemma of what do you do with the widows who are being overlooked in the, the distribution of food and of uh, resources. And the apostles' solution to this dilemma was to have the church there find uh, reputable men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and put, appoint them for the task of making sure that all of the widows are cared for. And as all of the widows are cared for, that frees up the apostles to continue their primary task, which is prayer and ministry of the word. And although that is, uh, doesn't mention the specific office of deacon, most people understand that as setting up at least the precedent for the need for deacon. Uh, and it doesn't equate an apostle to an elder, but it does understand that there is some overlap as far as the ministry of the word and prayer is involved. An elder does not possess kind of the, the delegated authority from Christ to establish doctrine in the church like the apostles did, um, but they do have responsibility for oversight of the local church, of preaching the word and of prayer. Uh, so that set us up for how God uses servants in the church to protect the church from disunity um, by taking care of kind of administrative tasks within the church and also freeing up uh, 
the elders to do what they need to do. So now, um, having gone through that as a, a recitation of what we learned last week, uh, any questions about that, about what we covered? Oh, hey, there you are. Yeah. Right. Not in scripture there are no term limits that are given. It doesn't get to that level of detail. In our constitution, um it uh it says that a deacon is expected to serve for not less than three years, but they can serve for life uh or until they um they don't want to anymore. Uh, some church constitutions have like a three year um uh, you serve three years, and then you're off, and then you can get renominated and come back on again. Uh, but our Constitution just allows, once you're appointed, you're, you know, you're in it until you're done. Yeah. Any other questions about what we covered last week? Okay. Well, feel free to chime in with other questions. We'll, um, we'll dig into 1 Timothy 3 now. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to look at, um, now in a more detailed way, what Paul says about deacons. Um, remember again that the office of, of an apostle, or the role of an apostle, or I should say the existence of apostleship was a time-limited um, role. Because once the apostles died, once, once John died, he was the last of the apostles, there aren't any more coming along. That's it. But the New Testament is set up for the existence and continuity of the church throughout the ages until Christ returns. And so these, these roles of elders and deacons is something that happens in perpetuity. Uh, it continues, continues on. Um, the, the deacons... Uh, well, let's read this text, and we'll come back and go through it. First uh, Timothy 3, verse 8 through verse 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Um, Just one thing to note before we get into the the characteristic of of deacons. Uh, Notice, again, I can't remember if I pointed this out before, but in 1 Timothy 2, Paul's establishing, here's what the men are to do. Uh, Verse 8, he says, men should pray lifting uh, lifting holy hands. Um, And then it talks about what women should do, verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves. And then chapter 3, verse 1, it gets into overseers. And chapter 3, verse 8, it's into deacons. Um, and this is all summarized by Paul saying in chapter 3, verse 15, 
uh, he's writing these things so that you, should, you would know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And I find it interesting, in chapter 5, he begins to outline some specific uh, instructions. Chapter 5, verse 1, don't rebuke an older man. Encourage him. Older women as mothers. But then chapter, three, or chapter 5, verse 3 says, honor widows who are truly widows. Gets back into the widow issue. Uh, that was the issue in chapter 6 of Acts. And here we have 1 Timothy talking about elders and deacons, and then it talks just some, a couple chapters later about the issue of widows. and talks about how they're to be enrolled, when they're to be enrolled. Um, and, and if we you know, apply it a little bit, we can understand, okay, um, there's still the responsibility of the church to care for widows, how is that to happen? Well, you've got these offices of elders and deacons. Uh, elders are responsible. Um, in chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there's, the role of elders is to be leading, preaching, teaching. Well, then what are the deacons here for? Well, you still have widows in the church. So I have responsibility to take care of the widows. That's, that's as important. It's just a different role. Uh, I'm not saying it only is dealing with widows, but it's an example of how there are logistical elements of the church that need to be addressed, and the deacons are the prime roles for that. Now let's talk about the character of deacons uh, now. Paul just gave us a, a list of these requirements and he starts off in chapter 3 verse 8 by saying deacons likewise and likewise is there in in reference to what he just laid out for the elders so when you look for an elder you can't just look for anybody you have to look for somebody who meets those uh, character requirements in chapter 3 1 through 7 well deacons likewise you can't just appoint whoever you want they need to possess these character requirements um and this is so important because in our, in our flesh, we always want to look for the shiniest, the brightest, the, brightest, uh, the most kind of put together. But God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. Uh, that was uh, Samuel's problem when he's looking at David's son. Look at this guy. He's a great king. And Israel, when they see Saul, look at him. He's a head and shoulders above the rest. And God chooses David, a man after his own heart. So character is king in this. Um, there's also another tendency with the role of deacon within, the, within churches, broadly speaking. Um, we think, you know what? That person's not, uh, not really involved in church. They're kind of on the outskirts. You know what? We could... We could get them to church more often if we give them some responsibility. Let's, get them, let's get, give them this job, and let's make them a deacon. That'll, that'll make them, they'll get them here every week. Uh, that's a terrible way to do it. You're just asking for trouble. Because uh, the kind of man he was a week before he was a deacon is the kind of man he is a week after he becomes a deacon, except for maybe a little bit more arrogant. 
So we can't, we can't operate that way. If he isn't godly, he isn't a deacon. If he isn't servant-hearted, he isn't a deacon. So here are the requirements. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Look at what it says in chapter 3, verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And now for deacons, the first character quality is they must be dignified. Uh, for being above reproach, it would mean you're, you're living a life um, that's really hard to bring legitimate accusation against. It doesn't mean they're perfect by any stretch. Uh, but the accusation that's kind of going to bring um, approach on the church or on the person doesn't, won't stick. Dignified. Uh, the word is semnos. It's worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. We all want respect. We all want to be respected by others. The question is, are you respectable? Are you respectable? For the deacon, they have to be. Other translations, the ESV is dignified. King James uh, translates it as grave, serious. Um, The New Living Translation says well-respected and has integrity. So when speaking of elders that would be above reproach, here deacons are to be dignified, worthy of respect. So they're to have a reputation that precedes them. Uh, They are to be known already to the church as being a man who uh, deserves an amount of respect for the way they conduct their lives. Uh, the King James, again, is grave or serious or sober-minded. Uh, they are um, not kind of flippant and all over the place. They're not just um, tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine and the waves of the world. Uh, you don't see them engaging in all of the different uh, levity of this world. doesn't mean they don't have a, a sense of humor or um, a brightness about them, but it means they're... they're they, they have a, a dignity to them, a respectability to them. Um, not that they look down on other people. That is not a character quality. There's a seriousness. Uh, one author, uh, Alexander Strauch, defines it this way. It describes a person whose attitudes and conduct win the admiration of others. So someone who's living a frivolous life, can't get his priorities straight, uh, possesses questionable character, and then suddenly receives the privilege of serving widows in the church, has likely just put themselves in a position or been put in a position where they're going to bring reproach on the church of Christ. You need somebody who's respectable. Not double-tongued. It says, not double-tongued, literally saying the same thing twice. It means, you know this, saying one thing to one person and another to another person in order to look the best to both people. Um, How does it go? Uh, Flattery is saying something to somebody's face that you never say behind their back. 
and gossip is saying behind their back what you'd never say to their face. Double-tongued. They cannot be double-tongued. Dishonest speech is detrimental to your character and obviously dangerous to your church. Um, Where do our words come from? Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. So if a person is double-tongued, what does that say about the kind of person, kind of man they are? A duplicitous man. A man who is only self-interested in getting to be thought well of by people by dishonest means. Double-tongued. A deacon cannot be this way. A deacon is going to interact with many different people in different walks of life and have serious responsibilities. Say there's a, a group of complainers in the church. That's never going to happen here. And the deacon finds himself in that conversation says, yeah, I know what you mean. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they made that decision. Can you believe that they put an air conditioning in the building? Can you believe they colored it? They painted it this way? That's ridiculous. And then another group, the, the facility committee, would say, yeah, I love that color. It's beautiful. Lovely it is. No, you need a man of integrity who's not double-tongued. Uh, in one of the books I read, it, it recounted stories of deacons, uh, real-life deacons, um, written by pastors. And um, it was amazing the amount of stories that came from that, where the, what, the pastor wrote, what the, one of the pastors wrote about the deacon uh, was an appreciation that the deacon was always a man of integrity because there would become factions within the church and the and a number of times these deacons were the means by which peace was made because they weren't double-tongued. They wouldn't jump in on gossip. They wouldn't jump in on complaining. They would be a man of integrity. Not addicted to much wine. Um, the qualification is not that they don't drink alcohol at all. You cannot make that case from Scripture anywhere. Uh, You can have the conviction that you are not going to drink alcohol, but nowhere does Scripture say that you cannot drink alcohol. Um, The fact is that Jesus' first sign was to turn water into wine. And it was really wine. It wasn't Welch's. Um, the problem is when somebody lets uh, drink govern their life. And so in this case, they're not to be addicted to too much wine. They, and there are some people that can live um, a reasonably responsible life but be enslaved to a substance can't be that because the thing that a man of God needs to be enslaved to is Christ and nothing and no one else. So if we draw a principle from this, uh, it's not, it wouldn't then just be wine. It's like, is there, is there anything in this person's life that just has them bound to it? 
Is there anything that has them gripped? Um, clearly, wine, uh, addicted to much wine, would be an eliminator. Um, next one. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Just think for a moment all of the stories of churchmen who have brought great shame on the church because they love money. Um, Usually they're on TV, but that's not exclusively where they are. It's a a temptation everywhere. Um, Our hearts love money. Our fleshly hearts do. A deacon must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Um, they have to be motivated by something higher, something more noble. And, and frankly, the, the, when you get into positions like this of, a, of an elder or of a deacon, um, you get into positions where you have the opportunities uh, or temptations to manipulate situations for your personal benefit. Um, if somebody is in it for that reason... They have no business in this ministry. Not for dishonest gain. It's not really for personal advantage within the church, especially financial gain. They must, next one, they must, and notice how, how essential this is. This is necessary. This is a non-negotiable within the church. The deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery of the faith is referring to New Testament revelation. What was hidden, now revealed in Christ. It's the mystery of the gospel. It's the the fact that sinners are saved by grace through faith. It's a mystery that Gentiles are grafted into the promises, that we are one new man in Christ. It's the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. It's Matthew through Revelation. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's apostolic doctrine, as explained in the New Testament, revealed to us. Um, if you've read Romans, there's the mystery of the faith. Read Galatians or Ephesians or Hebrews or Revelation or Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. All of those are it. So if somebody is biblically ignorant and cannot explain what the gospel is, they have no business being a deacon. They need to hold to the mystery of the faith. This is not a secular job. Uh, This is serious. They need to have this mystery of faith held by the deacon. But we know those kinds of people, man, they're great theologians. They can tell you chapter and verse uh, until they're blue in the face. They can, they can talk up um, a theology. They can tell you um, about Voss, about Frame, about Calvin, about Luther. Uh, they can tell you all of these things but they don't have a clear conscience. You need to hold to the truth of the gospel with a clear conscience. Uh, That's one of the things that Paul labored after. He wanted to do all things right before both God and men. Uh, Live with integrity within your heart. Um, Titus chapter 1 verse 1. 
Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, and listen to this, their knowledge of the truth which accords with, you know, godliness. If you have the truth and you don't have godliness, you're living a a disparate life. Uh, Truth accords with godliness. And so a deacon has to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That would then mean, again, not that the person is perfect, but they are a humble, repentant man who is confessing their sins to God and constantly trusting in, the, trusting in forgiveness offered through Christ and in the power of the Spirit not to continue living in old sinful patterns and habits. That should be the kind of man a deacon is. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10, 1 Timothy 3. And let them also be tested first. Let them be tested first. Um, this, this word is to evaluate the quality of something. It's fool's gold. Looks like gold, but when you test it, it's not the real thing. And so a deacon may look like they've got all these attributes, but before you put them into place, you need to test them to make sure they're the real deal. Um, this is, again, this is one of the reasons why we've not been quick to move on deacons, because uh, we've seen, we've seen a, a sudden growth in our church, and it's been wonderful, and we love the people who are here. But we need time to get to know people. And it just takes time to understand, understand them, where they're at and what they're about and what their life is like. Um, and so you may not realize this, but we're testing you all the time. Uh, you should see our notebook. No, it's not, that's, don't, don't, <laughs> don't worry. We're not doing that. Um, no, it's, it's much less formal than that. It's just we have the chance to get to know people and they're tested. Um, here's one story that was recounted in one of the books we looked at, uh, looked at about this. Um, this is by Alexander Strauch again. He says, at Valley View Church, the deacons are the church's business, um, sorry, at Valley View Church, the deacons are the church's business committee. Their primary duty is to make financial and facility decisions. Once a year, The pastor invites all the members to meet after a Sunday evening service to choose new deacons. As everyone gathers around a whiteboard, the chairman of the deacon board asks for nominations. Several names are suggested and written on the whiteboard. The members who attend, and only a few do, then vote for two new deacons to replace the two whose three-year terms have expired. After the votes are counted, the newly elected deacons are installed, and the pastor closes the meeting in prayer. The entire process takes less than an hour. Um, end quote. Not sure you can put a, a time limit on it, uh, but it should probably take a little bit more than an hour to choose deacons. Um, now, you can give the benefit of the doubt. They knew everybody there. They knew the quality. But it says specifically, let them be tested first. The quality of their life needs to be proven Then, it says, let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves 
blameless. Paul will later say, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Now we have this interesting interlude in verse 11. Uh, their wives likewise, literally the women. There is an interpretive decision to say that it's referring to deacons' wives. That's not necessarily the case. If you look at your footnote in your Bible, it will say wives likewise or women likewise. Again, it's, it's literally women. Sometimes that can be meaning wives, uh, but there is no possessive pronoun there, there T-H-E-I-R. Um, that's a decision. And so it's still debated, is this referring to the wives of deacons? Is it referring to deaconesses? Is it just referring to women in general? Um, and I'm not going to answer that question because it's not pertinent to our discussion right now. Uh, I would take it's referring to, uh, to women uh, who are serving in a role that is similar to deacons in the church. That's why I say, likewise, the, um, the elder requirements mentions nothing about wives why would you need a requirement for wives of deacons and not a requirement for wives of elders? Uh, not saying that the wives of elders can be anything they want to be or wives of deacons can be anything they want to be in the church. Uh, the whole family is kind of evaluated, but it doesn't make sense to me that it would single out the wives of deacons. Uh, the last time that uh, Paul refers to men and women is back in chapter 2. He refers to men in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves. He's not referring just to wives or their wives of men, but just to women in general in the church. And so I take this as referring to women who serve in a role that's similar to deacons within the church. Um, but it gives the qualification there. But down to verse 12, it says, Again, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So another qualification, uh, the way that it's literally given is a one-woman man, uh, a man of one woman. So it's an interpretation to say it's a, a husband of one wife. Um, the, this is a, a Pauline idiom. It's something that only Paul uses. We can't find this really anywhere else, um, the way that Paul uses the language here. And I think the best understanding is just saying that Whoever serves as a deacon, if they are married, needs to prove themselves to be a faithful man to his wife. Um, it gets tricky when you start talking about divorce and remarriage, um, but probably what this is looking at primarily is, is the character of the man that you're evaluating for a deacon. Has he proven himself to be the kind of man where he is committed to one woman? A one woman kind of man, faithful to his wife. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? The way that a husband treats his wife is so indicative of the kind of man that he is. One woman kind of man, managing their children and their own households well. So you look at their house, their home. How is he parenting? How does he take care of his home, of his finances? Uh, is his household in order? Don't go to my house. There are toys everywhere. Um, it's not looking at the cleanliness of the place. It's looking at the people of the place. Are they cared for? It says in chapter 3, verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his own children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If he can't care for his family... Well, how can he care for the church? Um, so family life is important. 
Verse 13, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the benefit that comes to those who serve well as deacons. Notice it does say those who serve well. There are deacons who serve bad, poorly. Um, But for those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves. Um, This is not the reason you get into diaconate work, but when you serve well and your reputation precedes you, you do gain the respect of the people that you are serving. That's a benefit. They gain a good standing. And also great confidence in the faith in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've experienced this, but as you serve Christ, you don't have to be a deacon or an elder, but as you serve Christ, you are blessed with an increased confidence in the faith that you are committed to. You know, yeah, this is worth it. It doesn't mean everything goes smoothly, everything is, is rosy. It's like, but it's, I, I know Christ. I know that he is everything. Your confidence is uh, bolstered in the one whom you serve. So there are great benefits to those who serve as deacons. Very quickly, that's, so those are the biblical requirements. Um, let me just talk a little bit about our process at, at church here. Um, what our constitution uh, gives as responsibilities as a deacon, and again, the constitution is a human document. Um, scripture is our final authority. But uh, the constitutional responsibilities of a deacon, according to this church, uh, is one, if there's only one elder in the church, uh, the deacons become a um, part of an executive board that help uh, the one who is serving as a pastor um, to be able to discuss with others what's going on. It doesn't make the deacons an, an elder, but it helps uh, the one who's serving make decisions in an informed and advised way. So it provides some um, safety net because it's, it is always dangerous to invest um, a lot of responsibility and authority into one person. And so our Constitution makes provision for the case where there may be only one elder. That's not ideal, but it could happen. I mean, it could happen right now. Something happens to myself or to John. It could happen in a moment. Uh, And the Constitution makes provision for that. Um, It also goes on to say that the physical needs, facility needs, and financial management of this church shall be supervised by the deacon. Uh, This office is a functional one to alleviate needs and facilitate the activities and ministries of the body. It's pretty broad, but it it does address the facilities. Uh, Financial uh, accountability should be handled by the deacons. And uh, and then to alleviate needs, facilitate activities in the ministries. Uh, It also goes on. It shall be the duty of deacons to care for the property of the church, to hold, repair, invest, and preserve the same, including the hiring and supervising of a janitor, to superintend any improvements that are not entrusted to a special committee, and to perform such business concerns of the church as shall from time to time be assigned to them by the church. And then, uh, per Rick's question, deacon may serve for a life term or for a designated number of years of their choosing, but not less than three years. And again, by our constitution, we're going through the nominating process. Um, The elders will evaluate any nominees, and then should we agree to their fitness, we'll bring them to a nominating committee. Nominating committee will interview 
um, the deacon nominee, and then should there be approval there, then we'll present that to the church and um, for four Sundays, and then there'll be a vote to install the, the deacon. Um, I think the kind of the, the role and responsibilities of, of deacons can be, can be fairly broad. Um, it is specifically defined in our constitution to facilities, but it doesn't have to end, end there. Um, and some of that would depend on the gifting and abilities of those who are deacons. Uh, what, is their, what is their bent in service, and how are they equipped to serve? And we try to plug people in in that regard. Okay, I'll stop there um, for a little lesson on deacons, or a little lesson that grew a little bit bigger. Um, but questions, thoughts, comments? Tom? Uh, as many as would be qualified and want to do it. We don't have a number. Nope. Is that fair, John? How many are we looking for? We don't have a number, just as many as would be qualified for the role. Right. Yep. We have two currently, um, but we're not looking for two more, any, any set number. Denise? Um, is John and myself, um, Bob Laporta, um, Trudy, um, Cindy Casavall, uh, Matt Hewlett, um, Kelly, if her schedule permits, and Rick Johnson. Other questions? Mike. John and myself. Yep. Who are the elders? That's John and I. Yeah, no, we're... Um, we view the terminology, you know, elder, pastor, overseer, it's all the same thing. You could call me Elder Andy, that'd just be awkward. Um, and I don't wear a name tag. Um, yeah, so it's all the same. So John and I are both pastors. It's not pastor and co-pastor, it's just we're both, we're both responsible for pastoring the church. Yep. Other questions? Kathy. I, right. Well, I, I read through what the Constitution says. Um, the, the responsibilities of the deacons would at least be that, the, the care of the facilities, uh, oversight if there was a janitor. Um, fun, it's a functional one, again, to alleviate needs. Uh, as well as to facilitate ministry. Um, they should be responsible for the finances. That has not been part of the, the responsibilities of the current deacons. And so if we took on additional deacons, and that's part because there's enough responsibility on their plate. Uh, if additional deacons came on that were qualified to do that, we'd want to give them that responsibility. Um, and part of, the, part of the reason for lack of specificity would be to see where where the deacons would be equipped to serve who came on. What's their gifting? What's their ability? And we'd want to um, point them in that direction. But there's enough of facilities stuff going on, and we've got a number of different projects that are happening um, between bathroom remodel, the, uh, the auditorium, uh, other things that need to be done. The, the parsonage needs to be given uh, thought to. Um, so there's lots of work. And one of the things about deacons... Um, 
you know, the elders should be, should be leading. We can give kind of some direction. Uh, but we'd also hope that deacons would have a, a kind of eye for what needs to be done uh, within the church to help it run like a, a well-oiled machine. And so we would look for their input. You know, what do you think needs to be done? What, what should be happening here? Um, but the facilities and the finances are two very big responsibilities that we'd look to have uh, attended to. Other questions? Bob? Our Constitution requires that you have the elders, um, um, one, at least one deacon, uh, a deaconess, and then four uh, members of the church. And so John and I discussed um, who would be selected for that. Correct. just the people we like best in the church <laughs> yeah no it's um you know when you get into something where you're choosing people uh that's always hard you know we have a we had a list of you know man this is, this is hard to choose from and part of it's like okay who's doing who's doing what already and we don't want to overburden overburden people who would who would work well on this team and has kind of a mindset for that um uh, if you know Rick Johnson, he's not here, so I can talk about him. But Rick is very, uh, is very discerning, very wise, and um, we really appreciate his input. And as well as he's been a part of the church for, um, for quite a while, and so he knows the history of the church. He's seen where it's gone, and so we value his input. And so we've tried to be um, considerate as we make decisions. Uh, it can look like when you, you know, this is the doctrine of election. Right? When it looks like you know, God chooses some people and that means he, he doesn't choose everybody else, it makes it look like that. But uh, in, in this case, we're, we're not saying we don't like everybody else. It's just we think that this would be a good fit for this, this responsibility. Yeah. Other questions? Eddie. Right. Yeah, so we would take that that um, 1 Timothy 3, verse 11 would be applying to deaconesses, what their character qualities would be. So we'd look for somebody who is dignified, not slanderous, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Um, that would be the character qualities. Per our Constitution, the role of uh, deaconess, um, or deaconesses are appointed by the elders in this case. We don't go through the nomination process. That would be something appointed by the elders. Uh, so we're looking for women of that kind of quality and that servant-heartedness. Uh, later in First Timothy, it talks about those who are truly widows, and it's the kind of person who has spent uh, their time serving the saints, and so we're looking for those servant-hearted kind of ladies. And then their responsibilities, likewise, are very um, practical uh, in things that we find you know, ladies would be, would be good at, uh, things like decorating. Um, you don't want me decorating. And so I'm thankful for those ladies who, who are uh, able to do that. Um, and, and things like some mercy, some mercy ministries, just some tenderness that ladies bring to that type of ministry is a real gift. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about deaconesses. All right, our, our time is about up, but if there's one more question that you're just dying to ask. Okay. All right, then we'll, we'll close in prayer. Father, we um, once again commit this process to you. 
we um, we desire to honor you by the way the church functions, and we pray that you provide um, qualified men to serve as deacons, those who would be eager for the role and uh, and do a good job at it. We pray that you'd provide them. And Lord, if this season is is not it for your timing, uh, we accept that. And if it is, Lord, would you lead us and direct us in uh, in who should come on to this role? Lord, help us uh, as a church to continue to grow and care for the people of this church and to be uh, continuing with the proclamation of your word. Lord, help us. We need your help. We can't do this on our own. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.